I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where each and every day I bring on new business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them share their top tips for success with you. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram at AskAdamTorres to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that other good stuff. Always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, MoneyMattersTopTips.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today I have Vincent Columbia on the line, and he's the Regional Vice President of Sales over at Collective Health. Vince, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Happy to be here. So I'm excited to get more into what you're doing over at Collective Health, but before we do that, let's get a little bit more into your background. So how did you get started in business and in your career? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, you know, Silicon Valley, and um, you know, I, I finished college right when the internet was just sort of forming. And uh, you know, I grew up with a lot of friends that, <clears throat> some older friends that were working for some of these legacy companies like Yahoo and Intel. And um, I always thought it was cool to work in tech. And being the son of immigrants uh, from Italy, my dad was a, a blue collar guy. And um, you know, there was an interesting thing I noticed growing up where no matter how hard he worked, no matter how much effort he put out, he would still get paid the same wage. And so when I was in college and figuring out what I wanted to do, right, you know, the, the classic question, it's like, well, I want to get paid for my efforts. And the harder I work, the, the more I want to become successful. So that led me to, I got to work in sales. And so, you know, when I finished college, this was back in 2000, you know, I, I pretty much would take any job I could. And, and I was, a, um, I minored in broadcast journalism and I started you know, assisting salespeople, uh, selling uh, advertising time at a firm, and then did that for a few years. And I had some family members that were in the sexy industry of the insurance world, <laughs> and I had I had one of my uncles uh, approach me if I ever thought about insurance. And this is commercial insurance, so for um, you know companies, uh, things like workers' compensation, general liability, that kind of thing. And and I responded honestly and said no. And he's like, well. You know, I'm getting older, and my son's taking it over, and we're looking to grow. And you seem to have a good personality, and you're decently smart. And let's talk about it. And, <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on the word decently, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, but they were successful, and they were wealthy. And, and I was like, well, you know, if I could piggyback on those relationships and build my own, maybe I can have a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good shot at it. Um, an interesting thing about the insurance industry is it's it, it's attractive not for the industry itself, but for something um, called you know recurring revenue. So you you get paid on the life of the account as long as you keep it. So that's what's really attractive for it because you get you know a little bit of commission every month for as long as you maintain the account. So that's why it's attractive for a lot of folks, and because as you build clientele, it just keeps you know uh, you know orders of magnitude just keeps growing year after year after year, assuming that you're successful, of course. So that attracted me and. I worked there for, for a few years, and we had a little bit of difference of opinion. He ended up selling the company for a large global company. I ended up working there, and, and then I just kind of fell into this insurance world, and, and I didn't want to just be upset about how my experience there worked. I wanted to try to dovetail that into success, and, and uh, the company I worked for was, was pretty well known, so I thought, you know what? I'm licensed. I'm a licensed commercial insurance broker. You know, let's see if I can you know, build this into my own, and and my approach was, you know, I kind of looked at sales as almost kind of like running your business, except without the risk. Um, the only thing is, if you're not successful, you're not going to last very long. But I like the latitude that I was given where I can look at this as my own franchise and grow and really build it myself. And so I wasn't always successful. It took me a few times to really find my niche. Um, and, 
you know, after after a few years, you know, I worked at a couple different companies, and and then I kind of landed where where I am today. And you know, an interesting thing, Adam, happened where, you know, I always liked my jobs. You know, I always liked it. I never wanted to pull my hair out. You know, I used to have a horrible commute, and until I landed at this job where I'm celebrating almost my third year, I've actually never loved a job, the company, its mission, and the people until this job right now. Um, and I know it's almost cliche nowadays. People talk about, oh, you got to love what you do. you got to be passionate. And I kind of thought that was hogwash until I really got to experience it for myself. And it really kind of what I call sort of accentuates the intangibles of your motivation. So if you love the product, if you love the solution, if you love the people, I think inherently you're just going to work harder and you're going to be more efficient with your, with your time. So that kind of led me to kind of where I am today um, with Collective Health. Man, I love your story, and I love it because um, you really uh, – many people could have, uh, when when they, you know, had some of these transitions or pivots, could have just gotten out of the industry altogether, or they could have – they didn't necessarily build in their skill set, and you started in sales, and you said, okay, and then you really just developed a niche for yourself in that industry and took it further. So super exciting to me, and I can see um, why, why you're at where you're at and what you're doing, what you're doing. Um, that being said, though, so there's some, um, there's some younger entrepreneurs or maybe some younger younger people that are just getting out uh, started in the workforce and they're thinking about a career in sales. Um, so obviously with you having have the, now you have the benefit of hindsight, um, what kind of advice would you give to that newbie that's thinking about making a career in sales regardless of the niche? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. I think, I think first and foremost, you got to be realistic with yourself. I think a lot of people, I think especially nowadays with social media and everything instant, I think sales can be, you know, is glamorized. Um, especially, you know, in certain markets, I, I, I see this often in the real estate sector where, you know, everyone's dressed up really snazzy and they go to these fancy properties and they're doing all these videos and they don't realize that when you look at the data, you know, most people aren't successful. You know, most people are doing these types of things as a side hustle or have something else going on because they aren't quite successful in that. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, is to be realistic with yourself that, is this really something that you feel you could be successful at? And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're in sales, I mean, you have to, you have to build relationships and build your own brand from scratch. And that can leave, that can give people sort of an uncomfortable feeling. So what I mean by that is, you know, I've knocked on doors. I've cold called. You know, just like, you know, the, the movie industry, you get a thousand no's before you get a yes. Now, the spread might not be that large in sales, but – you know, you if you know you get a lot of no's and you get people a lot. They just don't want to be sold. You know, or we get calls all the time. And so, I looked at that as a challenge. That how can I stand out from the pack? How can I make myself a little bit more unique there to really you know kind of build those relationships? And I learned from kind of you know the old saying you know kind of move fast and break things. I just learned by trying. And I think the key thing is is to not to take things personally. I think our emotions get too far involved in a lot of those. Um, a lot of those experiences and and I think that was the big thing for me because I wasn't always successful you know I, I was kind of you know you know kind of faking it till I make it so to speak and, and it really took a time to make it stride um, so to answer your question I think be realistic with yourself don't take it personal and also don't be afraid of you know just moving on you know and I think old school like my dad you know it used to be you get a job at a company you're in the union you're there for 30 years you know you get your retirement and then you die <laughs> I think nowadays I, I, it's not as frowned upon to if you're LinkedIn, if you're at companies for a year or less and you go on another company. I think if the narrative is genuine, 
I don't think that would be a knock on you. So that's kind of how I would approach it. No, I love that, and I love that advice. And getting to knocking on doors, I remember one of my first jobs out of college, selling insurance, knocking on doors in Arizona, the heat of 110-degree weather. So you want to talk about sales and knocking on doors, I've done it. And I think um, for anybody listening, you do that kind of work, and you do sales at some point regardless, and you could do anything. If you want to start a business, you want to do something else, bottom line is you have to get somebody to buy into either you, your idea, or your product, or all of of the above is prefer is the preferable thing, but um, either way, all of it's going to take sales. And if you can't do it, um, you're going to have to sell the salesman to do it to work for you to continue to sell every day. So you're still going to have to sell somebody, even if it's your own employee. So you're exactly. going to have to continue to sell no matter what. So I, I love your advice, Vince. Um, let's yeah. switch it up a bit. I want to get into um, what you're doing over at Collective Health. So first, tell me a little bit more about the business, please. Yeah, it's really interesting. So. Um it's in a space that is on top of mind politically. It's typically the second largest spend on a large corporation's P&L after payroll. It's something that touches all of us and all of our family members. And it's something that we as Americans just don't really know that anywhere else to fix it, and that's healthcare. Um, specifically, kind of, you know, healthcare in America is broken out basically into three populations. You have your Medicare folks, that's basically government-sponsored. You have individual people, so maybe someone like you or uh, an entrepreneur that just buys insurance for themselves. And then you have the, the third set of population, which is the one we focus on, and that's employer-sponsored healthcare. So if you've ever worked for a large corporation, you start your first day or first week, you get your benefit package through HR, and you know they may they, they may lay that out to you. So that's what we focus on. And I'll, I'll tell the quick story because I love the story of the founding of our company. It was founded by a guy a data guy that worked at Microsoft and, and, and Yahoo in the early days of Yahoo Search and co-founded with a clinician, a doctor from Stanford. And quite candidly, um, our CEO was sold his company to Google, You know, was very successful. And, and, and part of that, when he was at Google, uh, he was under Google's uh, benefit plan. And he was out one day with his kids, and he had a lower pain in his abdomen. And this is up in the Bay Area. And he was in his early 40s, super trim guy, and um, went into the uh, provider system there, which was a large private university up there, system very renowned. And um, he was in the ICU for over a week, and he had a very rare, what's called a lower intestinal volvulus, which essentially is like your lower intestine getting into a kink. Uh, It could be very fatal, and uh, he ended up surviving. He ended up incurring multiple six-figure bills. I don't know if you've ever had uh, medical um, uh, issues, but typically you get what's called an EOB or like a statement, an explanation of benefits. And it showed that his, you know, when he went back home, let me back up a second, he just was thankful that he was in America when this happened. He was at a top tier Mm -hmm. provider system. He, um, you know, he was just thankful that he was working at a company. And lo and behold, after a couple of months, it showed that his procedure wasn't covered and he could be on the hook for multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you can imagine the the, the emotional toil that took and, as he peeled back the onion, he uh, actually calculated how much time he spent on the phone getting to the bottom of this, over 500 hours. And it turns out the surgeon on hand basically went with a – he had two choices for a procedure. One would have rendered him with a colostomy bag for the rest of his life, and one wow. wouldn't. Yeah, and he went for the second option. And, and in the insurance industry, uh, people don't realize everything has a code in the hospital. So everything gets a code because everything is charged a fee. When this went through the system, it was tagged as experimental, so the claim was denied. 
so it ended up working itself out, but that experience just left a bad taste in his mouth from a consumer's perspective. He just felt, we're just spending way too much money on healthcare, and we're not getting an ROI there. How can I make this a better experience for the consumer so I can understand, navigate, and pay for care effortlessly? And he co-founded the company with a, with a medical doctor, and that was the birth of Collective Health six years ago to make it effortless to, to uh, understand, navigate, and pay for care. And we are um, competing with you know, legacy insurance companies of the world, and we just feel that if you can re-engineer the way that employees and their dependents approach the system, that that'll generate healthier outcomes and also control costs. So that's what we do. So um, there's obviously there's a lot of business owners listening now um, today and also a lot of decision makers and big companies that listen to this show. Um, if, what kind of, so they know if they should follow up. What kind of uh, companies do you like working with? Is this for small companies, only large yeah. companies, mid-sized? What's the sweet spot so people know yeah, yeah. who should be following up with you? Yeah, great question. So we focus on a specific niche of large employers that in the insurance industry, insurance industry we call self-funded. So they, they are of a certain size where it doesn't make sense just to pay premium. They actually sort of create their own insurance company and pay the claims as a pay-as-you-go basis. So you can imagine they dive into the details on data and wellness. So we're for self-funded employers only. And what that, what that typically uh, equates to is usually employers sort of over 2,000 employees, so kind of in that what we call mid-market to enterprise size. So Fortune 1,000 companies, companies with at least a couple of thousand employees. Um, you can see some examples of those on collectivehealth.com, some of our, some of the clients that, that we have listed on there um, as well. You, you can see some of that. But um, those are sort of the niche that we focus. We don't do much on the small business side or kind of what we call fully insured. It's all on the self-funded side. That's awesome. Thank you for the yeah. clarification. And if somebody uh, wants to follow up and get more information, uh, Vince, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, you could just go to collectivehealth.com. It's got all the buttons and gizmos and levers to, to connect with us. Or quite simply, uh, I was really happy when I started the company because I, I was able to get uh, the email address Vince at Collective Health. So I was really happy about that because awesome. most, people, <laughs> most people misspell my last name. So Or they can contact <laughs> me uh, direct at Vince at CollectiveHealth.com. Well, hey, Vince, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing more about your background and also all the great work that you're doing over at Collective Health to really uh, disrupt and to change the, um, the the industry. I mean, I love the story that you shared with us today. Um, and to the audience, as always, uh, thank you for tuning in. I, um, I hope you got a lot of value out of this. If you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave me a review on the Apple iTunes store. Um, share this with your family and friends. I mean, do all those great things we do uh, to support our podcasters. I really do appreciate it. And I've been thanks again for coming on the show.